I, there's nothing I like talking more about than grace. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit from, from where we were to think about what I think is at the very heart of our faith and is really endangered, you know, right now in our world, um, that this idea of grace. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you one story that's moved me, and it's, it's part of why I've gotten so involved um, on the death penalty um, in particular. Um, and, and this is a story that starts really hard. It's a story of, of a man named Billy Neil Moore. Uh, he came back from Vietnam and was really troubled in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, he was troubled by the war. He was troubled financially. And so he and an army buddy came up with a plan to rob a house. And they had become convinced that they had an easy access to uh, money and no one would get hurt. But as they went forward with uh, robbing this house, everything went haywire and the homeowner was killed. And Billy Neil Moore was haunted by what they had done. And in fact, he immediately turned himself in, confessed fully to what had happened. And he said, this was in Georgia, so I knew I would face the death penalty. And he said, and frankly, that was fine with me. In fact, I've, I've heard him say, if I could have pushed the execution button on myself, I would have done it. He tried to kill himself while he was in prison. And in the middle of all of that funk, there was an interruption. And it came from uh, what we might think is the, an unlikely place. Uh, it was the murder victim's family. And they began a relationship with Billy that started with honesty. And they said, we hate what you did. You took someone that we love from us and nothing will bring them back. And they said, but we want you to know that we are Christians. And so we believe in redemption. We believe in grace. We believe in second chances. And so we're going to argue against the death penalty in your case because we think God may not be done with you yet. We think God's got a story for your life and and he he said uh, if I didn't understand grace before that I sure did after it right and he ended up uh, Billy dedicated his life to Jesus uh, as he was in prison he got baptized and these guys believed in full immersion um, not the easiest thing when you're on death row you know and so uh, they convinced the warden to allow them like what sounded to me like one of those kids swimming pools right and they're like they could get enough water he's not a small man but they could like uh kind of they drug they grabbed his legs and kind of pulled him through the uh kids swimming pool and they're like all right that's close enough none of that methodist like sprinkling you got to get under the water right and so they were like that's good enough so they baptized him and he kept falling deeper in love with Jesus, getting to know uh, the victim's family, and they became the biggest advocates for his life. And they began to see, you know, so much uh, change in him. They got Mother Teresa and the Pope and some other folks involved. That didn't hurt, you know. And uh, finally, and, and really what is nothing short of a miracle in Georgia, the, the parole board not only um, stopped his execution, but they uh, allowed him to be free many, many years later. And because of the advocacy uh, of 
the victim's family. And today, uh, Billy Neil Moore is a pastor. He's a preacher, he's a pastor. And every time he preaches, it's grace that just drips from his lips, right? It's this idea that no one is beyond redemption, or as our brother Brian says, we're all more than the worst thing we've done, right? That God's got a bigger story than just our biggest mistake. And, and so I think as, as we think about what grace and mercy look like for, for us, there's a lot of different iterations that it has, but I think one of the, the very core things that we see in Jesus is this truth that no one is beyond redemption. And uh, that's why, you know, I, as you look at the Bible, it's really interesting because the Bible is full of such messed up people, right? <laughs> I mean, like Moses killed a man, right? Read the book of Exodus. Moses killed a man. David, who I learned in Sunday school, was a man after God's own heart. You're like, on good days, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> brother had some bad ones, though. You know, like uh, you go through two chapters of the Bible and David just rips through every one of the Ten Commandments, broken out, breaking every single one of them, right? He, um, and he ends up, what, what I, we've often learned is he committed adultery with Bathsheba, but I think it's more accurate to call it rape. Right? He says he looked at this woman, Bathsheba, and he wanted her. And so he sent his men to get her. He raped Bathsheba and then ends up having her husband killed in the battlefield to cover up this king's thing they can get away with anything. I'll stop there. But anyway, you know, I think, he, like, we, like, and so he ends up, you know, um, uh, he, he was a womanizer. I mean, and, 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 uh, and even uh, to, to make it worse, like he already had like seven wives and ten concubines. I mean, the brother had a problem, right? Like David uh, had a problem, and he hears the rebuke of God um, through the prophet Nathan. He ends up repenting of his sins. He goes on to write so many of the Psalms where you can see some of that lament, the conflict in his soul, right? And... Uh, uh, so I love that we have these messed up figures. It's interesting that when you get to the New Testament, it goes through the genealogy that leads to Jesus, Jesus' family tree, right? And it's, it's, it's easy to skip the first chapter of Matthew because it's like, this was the son of the son of the son of... But if you pay attention, it's awesome because it, uh, it goes, this was the son of the, the son of the son, and it goes, and then Solomon was born, and Solomon was the son of David. But his mother was Uriah's wife. He's like, don't forget, that was messed up, right? And it's, don't forget, right? Even the, the family tree of Jesus was filled with the messed up stuff of the human condition. Uh, rape and murder. And yet, it's through the cracks of all of that, that the story of God unfolds. I mean, isn't that amazing, right? That God's grace is bigger than David's sin. And that's part of the story at the very heart of the Christian faith is that this whole story is not about how good we are. It's how good God is. And in the midst of our own brokenness, our terrible mistakes, the like love of God flows and heals the wounds, that God works through the cracks. It's also one of those things I always like to be careful that like 
that repentance was really important, right? Like, that if we don't have, if we only have grace without repentance, we have what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, right? We cheapen the call of what it means to be the people of God. That's why, uh, like, one of my friend's kids, uh, uh, she said it really well. She said, we all got to remember that God loves Donald Trump, but that doesn't mean God wants him to be president. (laughs) Donald Trump needs to repent, right? And so I believe that God's grace is big enough for all of us, and we got to hold out hope for that, right? If God's grace isn't big enough for Donald Trump or David, it's not big enough for any of us, right? But we also believe in repentance. And I think of Saul, Saul, who, like, by every definition was a terrorist, right? He went door to door trying to kill Christians. He oversaw the horrible execution, the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. He he oversaw this execution of this young man. And so he can go on to, I mean, he gets just floored by God's love and grace, blinded by the goodness of God to the point that he has this radical conversion and goes on to say, chief of sinners am I, right? He writes, he could say that he uh, understood how good God's grace is because of how bad he was sometimes, right? So I I believe um, if we believe that a terrorist is beyond redemption, we could rip out half the New Testament. In fact, hey, if we believe that a murderer is beyond redemption, we could rip out half the Bible. It was written by him, right? The, the whole Bible would be a lot shorter without grace. But this is a love story, right? Can I get an amen? This is my fourth, fourth sermon today. You're going to have to help me out up in here, all right? Um, and that's why I love Peter. Peter, you know, Peter is like he, he's always messing up he makes mistakes but he tries stuff you know he'll try to walk on water and he'll sink and jesus will help him you know like he'll he'll uh, uh i mean like peter's really bad day was when the soldiers come to get jesus right and peter who heard the sermon on the mount live right real time like the soldiers come and he still impulsively picks up a weapon right he cuts off one of the guy's ears. I think the first thing Jesus probably did was go, work on your aim, man. No, I'm just kidding. You know, he, like, he cuts off one of the guy's ears. And Jesus, what Jesus does is so stunning and so beautiful. He scolds Peter and he says, no, you still don't get it. You pick up the sword, you die by the sword. Put that away, enough of that. And then he picks up the man's ear and heals the guy that Peter wounded. Sometimes we read these stories and they get so, you know, that we just, oh yeah, he just picked his ear up and put it back on. That's nuts. You know, like, like I mean, I, th- I think about dinner that night. Like, dude's home with his kids, you know. It's like, how's everybody's day? You know, kids are like, all right, I got a lot of Aramaic homework. How's your day? Dad's like, crazy. Like, we came to arrest this guy. He cut my, he cut my ear off. And then, like, one of his pros put my ear back on. Check that out. You know, like, I think he'll tell that story a few times. You know, like, he was scarred by grace. The early Christians said that the love and grace of God has a power to dull even the sharpest sword. And they said that when 
when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed every one of us. Because if ever there was a case for using violence, even to try to protect the innocent, like Peter had the best case in the world, but Jesus triumphs over this idea that violence is going to solve our problems. He triumphs over the sword of Peter. I also think my friend, uh, Nadia Bolsweber, she, uh, she says sometimes, like, we might have got the translation wrong. And, uh, we, you know, we think of Peter, the rock of the church. And she said, I think we got the translation. It's actually, Peter, you're dumb as a rock. But I'm still, <laughs> still going to build my church on you, right? Because you think, like, if ever Peter started to think this, you know, he's all got it, you know, this is his stuff. And he, you know, he's like strutting a little bit like, I'm the rock of the church. I'm sure the other disciples would be like, remember when you cut that guy's ear off? Stupid. You know, like, <laughs> he'll remember, like, he's, he made mistakes. Maybe that's why, why Jesus used him, right? And so I think that, that grace is a, um, it's a, it's such a beautiful thing because we end up seeing that, God uses all of these people who are just like us, right? They're just like us. And I, that's why Bono, I think he's so right. Bono, the great theologian, um, he's a singer of you too. You know, he said, uh, the fact that the Bible's full of messed up people, it used to disturb me. But now I find it a great source of comfort. That, that God uses people like Moses, people like Saul, people like David, people like you and me, people like Billy Neil Moore, people that, that we've lived through some things, right, that have done some things, like God works through the cracks of our lives, and, and in fact, sometimes it's the things that we've done that become the very instruments and conduits of God's love that we can say, oh, you've done something, well, so have I, you know, you survived something, so have I, so I, I, um, I think that, that uh, one of my, my friends, he was uh, telling me a story one time about um, taking a bunch of his youth group kids, he's a youth pastor, taking a bunch of his youth group kids to like this retreat. And uh, he said, uh, the wildest thing happened, he told me his whole story. And he said, we're on our way to the retreat and these are a bunch of kids from the city and they're going to this like Christian camp and it's totally like so far removed from the world they're from. He was like, I'm not sure our kids were gonna connect, you know, and he's like, but we're on our way out there. And he goes, we had a flat tire in the van, right? And he keeps telling me the story. He's like, yeah, and, and so they're like, we go to change the tire and the spare tire didn't fit the van and he's like, and so, like, eventually I just lost it. And, um, uh, like, it's pouring rain and the spare tire doesn't fit the van. He's like, I just started punching the van and I'm cussing it out, right? And he's like, all oh, my kids are looking on. It's not like how to be a youth pastor 101, right? But he's like, he, he's a finally, you know, AAA came or whatever. They fix it all up and they go on to the retreat. And he's like, it's the most awkward trip. <laughs> all the kids are like, Ooh. did you hear him? Yeah, I heard him. Crazy, you know, and uh, and they get to the retreat, and he says, that night, a whole bunch of their kids had this encounter with God, and they were like kind of debriefing, you know, and uh, one of the kids who had a really hard life, and he said, uh, he says he's really emotional, and he's he said, you know, I fell in love with Jesus, and he said, what was it? Was it like something the pastor said? Was it the worship? And the and the kid goes, no, it was on the way up there, man. We had a flat tire, and I saw you lose it, and I thought if Jesus can save you. Jesus can save me. (laughs) 
not, I want you to, you know, hear that tonight. I, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, may not have been in church for a while and uh, just need to be reminded that we are created in the image of God, you know, that, that there's a God that loves us. And I think the wild truth at the heart of the gospel is that we are broken sinners and we are also beautiful children of God. And there's some people that have heard way too much, you are broken, terrible, and you need to hear that you're beautiful. And there's other people that they know they're beautiful, they need to be reminded they're broken, right? And those are the two truths at the heart of the gospel is that we are, we are broken people, but we're all made in the image of God. And can you imagine if we could hold those together, right, as we encounter one another? That's why I love um, that story where the woman... Uh, you know, she's brought out in the middle of the town and the whole group of men says that she was caught in the middle of adultery and the men are all getting ready to kill her. And arguably, they had every legal right to do it. It was a ca Adultery was a capital crime. And so they're, it, 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 they're getting ready to stone her. And I love this story because Jesus enters the circle of armed men. And the first thing he does is weird. He bends down and starts digging in the dirt, right? All kinds of theologians speculate on what Jesus was writing in the dirt. Some people say he might have written, where is the man? <laughs> right? Because it takes two to tango. But anyway, you know, he might have been writing the names of all the women these guys were with or whatever. I don't know. But uh, we, my favorite answer was we were asking some kids. My friend was uh, is a pastor and I asked the youth group, like, what do you think Jesus wrote? And one of the kids said, maybe Jesus wrote, if this doesn't work, run, woman. <laughs> so, uh, but what? But Jesus, we don't know what he wrote in the dirt, but he bends down. Maybe he's buying a little time. He gets down in the dirt. And um, in the middle of these men getting ready to kill this woman, then he stands up and he says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And, of course, he'll remind them and, and all of us, if you've looked at someone with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you've called someone a fool, you're guilty of murder. And the stones start to drop and the men walk away. And it's awesome. The story ends with Jesus and the woman. He goes, where'd they all go? <laughs> and you get the sense that the closer we are to God, the less we should want to throw stones at other people. And that the only one who had any right to throw a stone had absolutely no desire. Because the closer we are to God, the less we want to hurt other people that... And so as the, the men walk away, you see like no one is above reproach and no one is beyond redemption. And that's at the heart of this, this story of grace and redemption. And I think like right now in our world, I'm concerned about the state of our, you know, country, our world and and certainly the church, which is often the quickest to throw stones and point fingers. And I, I'm convinced that like a lot of young people are leaving the church, um, not because uh, Christians are not perfect, but because Christians are not honest. 
Because I think if we were able to be a little bit more honest with our struggles and hypocrisies and contradictions, like young people would know that this is not a country club for saints. This is a place for wounded folks that are helping each other, you know, imperfect people falling in love with a perfect God and trying every day to help each other become a little bit more like the one we worship. You know, that's why my friend Tony Campolo, he says, whenever, whenever people tell him the church is full of hypocrites, he goes, no, it's not. We've always got room for more. <laughs> but don't we want to be a church like that, right? Where uh, I went to this church the other day, and the, the ushers at the door, or the greeters as people came in, uh, instead of, you know, like ties and jackets, nothing wrong with that, but the, they, had, they had these, uh, they had t-shirts on that at the door. It said, on their, on their t-shirt, it said, no perfect people allowed. <laughs> I'm like, what if that, those are the gatekeepers at the doors of the church, right? Like, you're welcome here as long as you know you ain't got all your stuff together, right? That we're coming together to, to remember how good God is and, and how much we need each other. And I also think, like, if we really are in touch with how good God's grace is, shouldn't it make us more gracious people, right? Like, Shouldn't like we who every time we come together, we are worshiping a God who loves broken people so much that God was executed and rose from the dead, absorbed all the violence of the world and triumphed over it with love. That's what we remember. That's what we celebrate. How in the world then can we be people who believe that even someone who's done something terrible should be executed. And we undermine the very, the very thing that Jesus died and rose for, right? So I want to close my, my thoughts on grace tonight by uh, playing Amazing Grace. Because those of you that were here this morning, we sang it. But this is a little different because... I've been getting really close to uh, a lot of the guys in Tennessee, in my home state, who are living on death row. And there's guys there who uh, completely are honest about what they did and what they are convicted of. Many of them have been there for decades and are different people than they were 20 years ago. There's other guys that are there that um, uh, hold to their innocence, and I believe them. So I've been getting to know these guys. And, um, and in my home state of Tennessee, on the week of Easter, they brought the electric chair back. They used it several times last year. And it did something to me when one of the guys who I had really grown close to was executed. Um, it's one of the first folks that I had known in any, any intimate way. Um, and he was convicted of something I believe he did that is horrible. And he spent 30 years trying to heal some of the wounds of that. Getting to know his daughter, he was convicted of killing his wife, her mother. They worked really hard at their relationship. And then it came to his execution. He's a deeply committed Christian, so we thought the governor might spare his life even because of the faith that they share. But the governor in Tennessee went forward with the execution. And uh, I remember right before he was executed, we met with him like three days before. And uh, I said, how you doing, Don? He said, I'm too blessed to be stressed. 
And he said, I'm going to praise Jesus every minute of my day, every hour of my day this week. And he said, no matter what happens, I want praise of Jesus to be the last words on my lips. Right? And so we prayed together and he prayed for the governor. He prayed for all of us, all of you, all of us to be steadfast in our commitment to alternatives to the death penalty. We prayed together and um, then the execution kept moving forward. They did all the theatrics, right, of the execution, the last meal. But Don, he was incredible. He, uh, he said, I want to fast. Instead of my last meal, I want you to give the $19. That's what they allot for the last meal in Tennessee. I want you to give the $19 to one of the homeless missions in the city to take care of the homeless. And then as, as uh, his execution came up, uh, he, he, his final words where he said, uh, I want to ask forgiveness from everybody that I've hurt. And I've hurt some people, he said. I want to ask forgiveness. And he said, and I want to extend forgiveness to those who are getting ready to take my life. And then he said, Warden, I asked you if I could sing for my last words, can I sing? And he sang his last words were, soon and very soon, I'm going to see the king. There's no more crying there. There's no more dying there. I'm going to see the king. And that's what he sang as he was dying, as he died. One of the other men that I've met is a, Katie's been, my mom have been, we've been to Unit 2, is a, a guy uh, who's a dear friend of Don's. His uh, name is Abu Ali. And so he's a beautiful, beautiful singer. And uh, we managed to record him singing Amazing Grace. So I'm going to play it with you uh, uh, tonight as we close. free to join in if you want to. Abu was 
set to be executed uh, three days before Easter this year, and his execution was just stopped. But his fight's not over. He's, he's still facing execution. So we remember him. We remember the great work of your folks here in EJI and other places that are working for Grace. And I'm so grateful for this church and having some hard conversations around what it means to be the people of God in the world right now. So let me pray for us and we'll see what we do next. Thank you for how good you are, God. And we, we do pray that you would forgive us when we fall short of who we want to be. Thanks for this conversation. Thanks for this, this community here, First United Methodist. We pray that uh, your grace would change us, your love would change us, that we would be a force, a force for love and life and redemption in the world. If there's anyone here tonight who... Uh, is here in the whisper of your love. I pray that they would find community, that they would find a, a deeper connection to you and to other folks who remind us that we are made in the image of God. We do pray as you taught us that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it would come in Montgomery. We pray that it would come in Alabama. We pray it would come in Philly. That it would come in this country that is so broken right now. Heal the wounds of history. Heal the wounds of racism, of hatred of white supremacy, of entitlement. Teach us your love. Thank you for a packed day of conversation together and guide us beyond just a moment. Guide us into the movement, the holy movement of redemption that you're doing in the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.